everybody, and uh, welcome back to another exciting episode of Hooked on Hitchcock with your host, Jonathan Moody, and I've also got my co-host here, G. Larry Butler. How you doing, Larry? Oh, just peachy, thank you. A- uh, I thought you were going to go into like a little uh, old school screwball comedy style talk right there in a second, you know? Yeah. I don't know, because that's what we're talking about tonight is a screwball comedy. Uh, in every sense of the word. I don't know. <laughs> so, first of all, this this movie, I believe, did not do very well originally in the theatrical. understand why. Um, and also that uh, Hitchcock himself sort of directed it, you know, like he. Um, now, there's two there's two things there's. Uh, a thing where he was originally very excited to work with Carol Lombard. Uh, they were, uh, I believe they actually like lived around the same area or something like in the same, let me, let me grab this. I have a little backstory here. If you'd like to hear it. Yeah. So, um, uh, where is that? Okay. Uh, but course, uh, the, 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 the night autumn of 1940, when Hitchcock arrived. Well, hold on, I'm ahead of myself. Uh, but course words spoken merrily and progenily were heard at the RKO studios in the autumn of 1940 when Hitchcock arrived there to film, of all things, a screwball comedy starring the popular blonde comedian. Uh, Carol Lombard, best known for her rock, 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 rockously. I, I can't even say that word. Rock, uh, rockously. Uh, uh, I don't know. Um, amusing movies and liberal use of language that would make sailors blush. Uh, she had Mary Clark Gable the year before, and the Hitchcocks were renting her former Bel Air home while they sought a permanent residence. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, oh it goes on to kind of talk about how apparently he sought after the uh, so originally he just wanted to work with Carol Lombard and then Carol ended up um, uh, and then they, they found this project together which I thought was pretty cool. But she persuaded him to do it. Yeah. And he normally doesn't do comedy so a lot of people are disappointed but you know it's just a one time thing. So, well, also, yeah, A, he wanted to do an American comedy, you know, uh, and get away from his British, you know, films and, and whatnot. Uh, he wanted to get away from the spy thriller stuff to show that he could do something else. And I mean, honestly, this was something else, you know, this was not what he's normally done. I mean, it wasn't, it doesn't fit. Yeah. It's just normal trope. This is um, this would be better in a theater, like on a stage, uh, stage play. Right. Not a lot of sets anyway. Um, um, pretty much very limited. Some snappy repartee, but that's about it. And I, I have to say something because it just re- occurred to me. Carol Lombard was killed in an airplane accident. Mm-hmm. She was married to Clark Gable and he, he was tragic. It was a tragedy. And so mm-hmm. that's why... She didn't have much of a film career. She only no, she died at the age of like 33. 
Uh, isn't that terrible? Okay. No, it's, it's awful. It's terrible. I looked her up today when I was uh, doing the movie stuff because I, I'm not really familiar with her work. Um, I don't really watch a lot of her movies, you know? Yeah, uh, screwball comedies. <laughs> They're not, it's not really my style. I mean, yeah, I, I, I've watched Bringing Up Baby and I didn't really like it. Yeah. Um, I've seen, I think, was it His Girl Friday or something? Yeah. No, and I, I don't know if that's a screwball comedy or not, but they pretty much all were. Yeah, and basically, screwball comedies, if people aren't familiar, are a term made after the Great Depression when people basically needed something different to make them laugh. And one of the things that they did was they would have um, movies where the women were basically uh, the men. You know, it was kind of almost like reverse where the women wore the pants in the relationship. The women were the ones that the men were seeking after and all this stuff. And that's I think that's where they get the term screwball from, because it's sort of screwy, you know, like it's a different time. Well, women were turning the, the corner. What do you call it? They're like they're turning things on its head and they're, they're trying to fight for their independence and for women power. Just the beginning of. So, They're doing it more too today, you know. Maybe screwball comedy should come back. Yeah. I don't know. Well, we're much further down the road than they were, but that's why men thought they were screwballs because you want what? I mean, you know, I wear the pants in the family. You stay home and take care of the kids and cook. Yeah. There's no way, you know. I'm gonna go work in a department store. And remember that thing about when. <laughs> Bless you. Thank you. Goes in and he complains. You know, she's married. She's married. Well, get her out of here. She can't work here if she's married. You know, they wouldn't allow it. So. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, and it's funny because she really wasn't married at that time. I guess yeah, technically, technicality. technicality. We'll get into that. Um, I want to also bring this up, which I think is really funny. Um. Uh, Hitchcock could simply not make Carol Lombard uncomfortable with any vivid language and dirty story. After he saw the rough cut of a scene one day, he encountered Lombard. Uh, oh, you've looked at the rushes without me, she cried. He assured her that everything was just fine. She goes, I don't give a fuck about that, she said. How did my new tits look? Wow. So that's could- a sign that I, I mean, that's that's the kind of shit I want to see in a, in a, in a movie, you know, like I want to see a biopic of Carol Lombard and her dirty, dirty, dirty mouth, you know? Um, now her, uh, this was a, you know, sort of your typical, um, you know, comedy from the forties where it, honestly, it, it wasn't like very laugh out loud, funny at times, you know, it, it was okay. Like I kind of chuckled a couple times, but really I was just like, um, I don't know. It just, it didn't, I, I was expecting better, I guess, you know, just cause it's the, you know, it's the master filmmaker Hitchcock, you know? Um, and, and yeah. the um, sets, I mean, like the, um, the, the cinematography looked great for that. Like, you know, he did some really cool shots, right. So it looked like Hitchcockian with stuff, but then it was mainly just two people squabbling. No, sometimes three, 
I, yeah. I found it very bland. Uh, there was no plot, in, you know, much, much of a plot of anything. And it was really panned by a lot of critics. I looked up the reviews and almost to a person, they were all like, they were very disappointing. But there were a few, of course, that thought it was brilliant, but there'll always be a few of those. Yeah, there'll be a few that liked it, but... It was not his forte. I mean, you didn't like it, did you? I did not. Oh, I'm... Um, st- like didn't- uh, a couple of things. I thought it was silly and shallow, but I did like some of the witticisms. You know, I wrote them down, you know, about the where she thinks that, well, I'm getting ahead of myself, but she talks about one guy says he has no self-respect. A mouse has more backbone. Taking a hat off to a lady doesn't make you a gent. You can teach a monkey to do that. I thought that was brilliant. Mm. Well, things like that, of course, you know, but Hitchcock didn't write that, but he, just, no, he didn't write anything. He like um, the guy who wrote it. Um, I looked him up online, and Norman. Um, he Norman. wrote a ton of um, ton of scripts. Um, now, did he work for Hitchcock before? No, this is the first one, I believe, first and probably only, because he was mainly a um, you know uh, a screwball comedy writer. You know, um, so let me uh, let me find his stuff because there was some interesting things I looked him up on um, the. Uh, so his name was Norman uh, Krasna. He was an American screenwriter, pilot, producer and film director who penned screwball comedy centered on the case of mistaken identity. Right. Um so let's see. Uh, what have biography? Um, so he worked with a bunch of different companies, um, and he uh, like he worked he worked uh, originally with Columbia, uh, doing uh, f- uh, his first film was called Hollywood Speaks back in 1932. Um, he did a movie called That's My Boy. So this is Africa. Uh, then later he worked for Paramount and did Four Hours to Kill, uh, Wife versus Secretary, which sounds kind of fun, uh-huh. you know. Um, uh, let's see. He worked with a couple of things with uh, Groucho Marx. You know, uh, he wrote a thing called The King of the Chorus Girl, but you know, Groucho Marx. Uh, then he for MGM he did Big City with Spencer Tracy. Uh, for RKO, which is this company, he did um, uh, Bachelor Mother. Uh, and then in uh, for Carol Lombard, he wrote Mr. And Mrs. Smith at RKO, which he sold for sixty thousand dollars. Now, I looked that up for today's you know thing, and it was like a million and something. You know, and I'm sure back then for a writer to get paid like basically equivalent of a million million dollars now, you know, I mean, he must have been sort of sought after and, you know, big deal. Um, uh, And then he did a couple other movies, but um, he became a director and, you know, and did a lot of Broadway, too. So there you go. But you said you you said earlier that this was like a, a play, and now you see why, because yeah. it was written by a playwright. You kind of 
wrote it like a play. Dialogue driven. And uh, there really isn't too many surprises in it. Uh, maybe some minor things, but nothing. Even like the ending, which I feel like was a very abrupt ending. Yeah. You know? Let's just let's be frank about this. It was kind of stupid. Yeah, uh, I didn't like it. I didn't like the ending. Major makeup like that, like everything else, they dismissed the other guy totally. And she, you know, how shallow can you be? And you just go back to your original mate. <clears throat> so she was torn for a while, but then apparently not very deeply. <clears throat> exactly. So, uh, honestly, I didn't like I didn't like their characters. Um so yeah. I guess let's let's get into the story of it. Um so here's the IMDB like log line, which says a couple who have been married for three years are shocked and learn that their marriage is not legally valid. That's pretty much it. That's the story. Like they find out that their marriage isn't valid. The only, and what? The major twist in the whole story is the fact that they had a conversation and he she gets sensitive because he said, Well, if I had to do it over again, I wouldn't marry you. Yeah. Then she discovered she isn't married and she doesn't want to be with him. So she turns it around on him. And then he's like, What? And then he well, wants- he, she only turns it around on him because he doesn't, you know, say anything to her when she when that guy approached him at the uh so like okay so the beginning yeah you're right so the beginning of the movie is him and her talking about marriage which is so strange that uh, they're married for three years and all of a sudden they're talking about it like that at the you know like normally people don't bring that conversation you know they're not like we've been married for three years would you uh hypothetically you know uh marry me again if you could like nobody does that Guess what, Jonathan? Women do it all the time. Really? I've had that thrown in my face, too. Have you? And of course you say, well, of course I would. You know, but uh, he was pretty stupid. <laughs> stupid, he said. Uh, well, he was, he was honest. You know, he said that you'd rather be single. He yeah. got his wish. That was his mistake. Be careful what you wish for, I guess, could be the theme. At first, I thought she was just playing with him, just show him. Oh, you you want you want to play that? Let's play. Let's play that game. Now I don't want you. And I was thinking, she really does, but she's just saying that. And then as it, the film progresses, I think she really doesn't want him because she starts comparing him to these other guys she goes out with. And like he's not a gentleman. He's crude and rude and you know and messy and all these things. But I think deep down she does love him in spite of all his flaws. So that's probably the moral of the story. Well, they they get each other. Um, there's the scene when they're at this ski place or whatever, the little ski cabin thing. Uh, and he, like the other guy, says some stuff and then she starts acting sort of violent, you know? And he, she's, he's like, I have never seen this side of you. And the other guy's pretty much like, you know, this is what she's really like, you know, like this is, yeah, yeah. you know, and I can, you know, you, you don't think I got this mark by, you know, whatever, right? Like, that's, that's he, one of the quieter moments he said. Uh-huh. Like, when she's try, having a shit fit, he said, this is one of her quieter moments. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, that's kind of funny, but like, it was, it was interesting. I, I did like the idea of like 
those guys were friends for a while, you know, and then uh, they break up, right, or whatever. They're not actually married, so she kind of pursues that guy. Um, that was a horrible thing for that guy to do. They're childhood chums. I know. He should have. He should have said, "Look, uh, if you don't want me to date your, you know, date your wife or whatever, I, uh, I, I, I won't." I've had that done to me, but I've never done it to anybody else. Right, and that's yeah. It's kind of it's kind of messed up. With a woman before I would even attempt that, but um, that was a but, very cool thing to do. And then you go on a ski vacation to the place he wanted to take her to. Exactly, it's so messed up. Like these are these are things that you know. That's cruel. Yeah, it's cruel. Um, but. I, I will say my favorite scene in the whole movie is the um, is the scene where she keeps giving him alcohol for medicine for his cold, you know, and everything. And I just laughed my ass off. You know, it was weird and it almost seemed really fake. You know, I kind of still laugh my ass off because, you know, I'm like people, people back then. I mean, I'm sure gay people you know, alcohol as like, you know, right. This is supposed to burn. It's supposed to take off the, supposed to take out the cold, but you know, you're not supposed to get them drunk. <laughs> the opposite effect actually lowers your body temperature. So it's, it's the worst thing. You but they do. didn't probably know that back then. No, they didn't. <laughs> no. And so it was sort of funny. They thought it was medicine and it's really not. It's like the exact opposite. Um, but I thought, I thought that was a funny scene. Um, I, I like that he tried to knock himself out. The main guy tried to knock him. David, I think is his name, right? David tried to knock himself out in order to, or like give himself a nosebleed just to leave a celery. Right? What? Was he knocking himself with celery? Yeah, he like puts the celery in a little uh, napkin and whacks himself. <laughs> so, anyway, what about the thing about Mama Lucy? I enjoyed that. Oh yeah, where they go to the wrong restaurant. She gets so excited. Well, it's the same. It's the restaurant, but it's it's the right restaurant, but it's like apparently now it's like um, uh, owned by a different person, so it's a completely different place. Before you get into that, uh, she she gets so excited because he, she thinks he's going to propose again, mm-hmm. so she gets into her wedding dress, and of course she's gained quite a bit of weight. She can't cinch it up, so she has to stitch, kind of put pins in it and then she gets there and it's splitting out on her and they ask the guy is mama lucy here and he says well i am i'm i'm mama lucy <laughs> and he's a man but he well, she retired years ago so i'm it so well then, before then before then the guy's like well you've changed too <laughs> that was yeah. a good line you know so uh then they're eating dinner and the guy says there's something wrong with his soup and the cat's on the table with him and he says, then the cat won't even eat it. So there's something wrong with my soup. He said, I'll give five bucks if this cat will eat my soup. Yeah. So <laughs> hey, that was really a funny little bit. Um, yeah, it was it was cute because, yeah, it was like, oh, man, the cat must know something. <laughs> I was like, but all the while, she's trying to get information. She's trying to get him to, like, talk about the, you know, about proposing. And then she's also trying to dig in, like, because – the guy uh we forgot to mention i guess the uh the guy comes over um what's his name 
I, I don't remember the guy's name, the kind of, uh, I guess, lawyer guy or something. He's some kind of, he comes in and he says, like, uh, basically to David that he's no longer, uh, he's not actually married. There was a, there was, oh, there was some kind of technicality. Oh, you're going way back. Okay. Well, I'm going way back, but I'm explaining that we need to go way back to explain that because then he's like, he mentions the girl, you know, his wife. And Uh he's like, oh, that's your wife. I remember her from blah, blah, blah. So later he goes to her house to say hello and talk with her and tells her the same thing, you know, that he told the um, husband. And so she thinks the whole time that this is the whole plan is for him to take her to this restaurant in order for her, in order for him to propose again, basically, you know? Um, well, she says to get married. I'm like, who gets married at like nine o'clock at night like that? I don't think that was going to happen. It's a, it's a weird situation. Mr. Devers comes in and he says, hi, I'm, uh, I don't know even know what he did. He works at a courthouse, I guess. They I mean, thought he was a lawyer of some kind or something. I have to you tell know. you, sir, that you are not legally married. It's a technicality over a border dispute between Idaho and Nevada. And uh, so you need to get married again. And here's your $2 back. <laughs> I guess $2 to get a license in those days. Uh, wow. Times have changed because they remember the guy says, do you want the 45 cent meal or the 65 cent meal? Yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to talk about that, too. He says, uh, no, they first they ask him, uh, we want to eat outside. Can we eat outside? He says, well, what kind of dinner do you want? The 65 cent dinner or the 45 cent dinner? Oh, well, the 65. Well, okay, then you can eat outside. Right. Basically, because he took the, the, the bigger meal, no. uh, the more expensive meal, which, I mean, yeah. would you like to go out to a restaurant and spend 65 uh, cents on a, on a whole meal? Well, I grew up in the 50s, so I kind of remember you get a cup of coffee for a nickel. Uh, I mean, is that insane? Like, yeah, I, know. I, I wonder in, in a, a hundred years from now, what's coffee going to cost? Uh, yeah, about a hundred bucks. Yeah, a hundred bucks just for one cup of coffee. It's already outrageous, like four or five bucks. Well, he, you know, and, and I have a theory, like I have a thing about that is like, okay, yes, I understand inflation and everything is going to keep going up. Problem is, if people don't stop, if people don't fix that problem, you know, or whatever, it's literally going to be that big of a problem. And they're going to have more homeless people. They're going to have less jobs to give to people, you know. Things are going to just, the whole world is going to collapse. They need to fix it where everybody can afford to sort of live, even if it's living in a crappy, you know, situation, you know, it's better than, you know, too many homeless people out there in the world, too many, you know, all that stuff. I mean, we need, we need to fix that, but fortunately I don't know. I don't know how to do that. You know, like if I did, I'd probably be in politics. It's from the top down. we got to spend so much money. We've got to stop spending that much you know, the national debt now is through the roof. We keep throwing money at things, you know, and, uh, you know, it's a, I applaud the uh, sentiment behind forgiving college loans. But my God, couldn't you just lower the percentage to zero? Just pay it back. But don't forgive the whole damn debt. 
because then now we're 300 million or three, I mean, how many billion more? In I thought it was like trillions that they were going to spend on this. You can't keep doing this. We're going to be like Argentina or Germany after the war. There was to get a loaf of bread, they had to take a wheelbarrow and lower it with uh, German marks in order to get a, a loaf of bread. It was that bad. So, well, I mean, I, I, the problem is like, you know, people like me who didn't go to college don't have anything of that. But then our ta- ta- our tax dollars are going to this. This is this is not this. You can't just forgive trillions of dollars and not have it be coming out of everybody's taxes and stuff. So it's it, it's money right now. What we're hemorrhaging money. I yeah. know, but. You know, I feel bad for Ukraine, and uh, but my God, I mean, how many billions have we given them already? Just go and knock out Putin, and then you'll be done with it. I mean, that wouldn't cost very much. A dollar for a bullet. So, I don't know. All right. Let's, we're we're getting out to a little political rant here, but it's okay. Um, I, I, I guess it, it, it seems fitting for Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which is a sort of 1940s and i mean they just got through all the great depression you know stuff and like i said like they were trying to trying to make everybody laugh you know like because that's what you know that's what the world needed at that time you know to to laugh again that's what the world needs right now but the problem is yes we 1941 right so they needed to laugh we're in a in a war uh, maybe we're not we're not in the war yet, but just about to. Well, 2022 is only what 60, what 70, 80, 80 years ago. Yeah, eighty years ago. Eighty years ago. Holy shit! So eighty years ago, or eighty-one years ago? Yeah, because it's 1941. So eighty-one years ago, this movie came out, and we're sort of still facing problems today, like like they were in a way, you know, except. Uh, shit's more expensive, you know. Like that's it. Well, you know, we 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 have a communication problem. The female and the male they never do understand each other, and that's going to be forever. Right. Which I think, I mean, for this movie, kind of facing that issue, and once again, that's sort of a screwball comedy thing. I think you know, is like once again, things have turned. The, the husband doesn't know how to talk to the to the wife, you know, or whatever. And I mean, so he says to her, you know, in the beginning of the movie, he says to her, you know, if I could do it all over again, I wouldn't. I would stay single. Right. Which gives her this angry. She has an angry look. And I think later she cries. He's like, don't cry. You know, this is. I'm not, this is hypothetical. It's not real. Then it becomes real and she starts thinking, shit, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to be with me. So, um, you know, I, I'm going to push him out. And so he goes off to, uh, at one point, he even goes to like the sauna, I guess, a bunch, a couple of times to, to, I guess, get the crick out of his neck, you know, and stuff. Oh, well, he was kicked out of the house. So he yeah, he was left- kicked out of the house. He was living at the lodge, and then that's what the sauna was in that lodge. 
he's a member of some kind of club. I, I can't remember the name of it at the moment, but he meets this guy named Chuck, who I do recognize from other movies. He's a hell of an actor. Yeah, uh, Jack Carson. Jack Carson, yeah. And he's very funny, and he gives him some advice, which is, you know, way over the top. Well, the Bee Feeders Club, that's the name of the club. And so he has no place to go to, so he can get a, a room there. And so he spends a couple nights there. And they feel really sorry for him. And Chuck gives them some advice about just ignore, ignore that woman. She'll get over it. Of course, she doesn't. She doesn't. That's the worst advice ever. And then he goes home and some old guy is dating her. And he almost pops him one. And then later on, when he goes to the department store, he finds out it's the owner of the department store she's working for. So he said, you dirty old man, you date people before you hire them. So it's kind of interesting because that's never changed that's still going on today mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of owners and bosses take advantage of their underlings exactly uh there was a, there was a lot of stuff that's sort of applies today yeah, yeah. you know um i mean do you think that they could because i know they remade this movie but as like a spy thriller you know no, it's so different it's that- so different which I, I guess it sort of needed to be because after watching this movie, I'm like, eh, they couldn't really remake this as it is. That, the, the first one was Snappy, the one with Brad, Brad Pitt and his lovely wife. Angelina uh, Jolie. Yeah. It, it, I didn't care for it at all. I didn't care for it at all, but I do love them both. Like Those two are two of my favorite actors. And Angelina, I mean, she's just... She's just beautiful. So she and she's sweet and she does really nice things for like the world. So she's you know. kind of a tigress. You can see it in her eyes. It's kind of a man. Well, then she would have been good if they did actually remake this. She would have probably been like uh, like uh, she, Carol Lombard. I don't think she could be as snappy as her. Uh, she's really quick, you know, witty. Uh, Carol Lombard? Much. But I don't know. Maybe so. Uh, um, fairly. Um, anyway, that uh, Je- oh, let's talk about Jeff for an in- instant. The new guy in her life, his that that David, Mister Smith's partner, law partner, and old and best friend, basically a childhood chum of his life. And then his parents come to visit and talk to them. And I thought it was very clever of him, of, of David, to insert himself in the conversation. Make it obvious that he knows Anne very well, you know, like, you know, I've slept with her. And they get really upset and they say, you you can't be with this white trash. And they actually say it. It's funny. And then they go in the bathroom to get some private time. <laughs> and uh, so they're very intensely against her. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he stays with her anyway. Of course, because Jeff is a really sort of he's too nice of a guy kind yeah, of thing almost like, unrealistic. So, yeah which is not what she needs she he, needs somebody who can try to tame her you know and almost, stuff he almost acts like he's gay what parts. I, i'm not trying to offend anybody but I, he acts gay in a way he and sort I, of does people but the way he he doesn't even kiss her he doesn't touch her he's not really you know, flirting with her, 
and she's saying, oh, well, I mean, I think you're a little bit too flirty with me. Like, what? I mean, come on. Give her a hug. And so he just, it it was was very... She even, she mentions that when he's drunk or whatever, that she, uh, most guys would tear off her clothes the first minute. And he is, you know, he won't do that stuff. And uh, she actually likes that. That's what she likes about him at first, is that he is different from all the other guys. Um, Yeah, you know, he's way too gentlemanly. Problem is, yeah, he's too much. What the hell are you? You're not a man, you're a mouse. She, I want a real man who gets jealous and pops the other guy. They're, they were too civil to each other. I didn't like that part. It's not real. Like in real life, they'd be knocking the hell out of each other. And they were no fisticuffs. They're too civil, especially on Jeff's end. And uh, I, I don't know. Um, I didn't care for that part at all. And I was trying to pull back from the movie at that point. And, but she has doubts about the future with him because of that. He feels there's, um, oh, Jeff thinks there's an unbreakable bond between the two of them, which it probably is. And and she starts doting on him. Remember, she starts mm-hmm. trying to help him more. He's, he's playing like, like he's comatose and he's not. And she catches him in the act. Mm-hmm. She still shaves him and all this other stuff. It's like, oh, come on. Who are you really with here? I know it was so confusing because she's doing that, but then she's being like, she's talking to the other guy about all the, the marriage stuff. And then she's, you know, going back and forth. And it's so confusing because it's like, like, who do you, who do you actually love? Like, who do you want? You know, you can't have both of them unless you're, unless you move to Utah, you know, um, become a Mormon, you know. Is it Utah, or is that just men owning women? I don't know if women can own men. Well, I'm just saying Mormons can actually get married to more than one person. Um, okay, so anyway, she explodes, and she sees him eating an apple. She throws a glass, and it shatters. And, you know, she's got a hot temper. Mm-hmm. She got so angry that she proposes to Jeff. She proposes to him. And then he thinks she's being rash. It's like, what? She thinks he, he she thinks he's too considerate. So they're they have they have a dim view of each other. And so he thinks uh Jeff thinks that he has the decency to stay around uh or not to stay around where he's not wanted. So and then then she starts calling him all kinds of names and she and then she thought, oh, what if I fake a love scene? That'll make him jealous, you know, mm-hmm. her former husband. And he'll come and he runs over there, catches her acting by herself. And mm-hmm. he puts her in a headlock, which I thought, wow, goes from one extreme to the other. He right. Another guy in a headlock, but to put his wife in a headlock. And then he drags her out the door, and then Jeff run, runs in, but he still doesn't fight him. And, and that's drives her nuts because yes. she she says, like a, a guy, you know. He, that he has no backbone. She can't be with somebody who can't stand up for, you yeah. know, his girl. You know, defend her honor. Right. You know, knight in shining armor. Like, but he's just like, you know, I I don't know. He just he won't do it, and it's well, just so weird to me. Like, I don't know. That character was so 
weird and I, I almost felt like I was watching a different movie than yeah. what actually existed, it you know? It, it, I didn't like it. And then he said, well, I feel that men will always be attracted to you and take liberties. And violence never solves anything. It shows a lack of character. I'm like, oh, come on. You know, just, I agree with her. You, you, you're a mouse. And you got no self-respect. Got no backbone, man. Backbone, yes. So it just, from... She says, just taking a hat off in an elevator to a lady doesn't make you a man, a gentleman. You know, uh, you can teach a monkey to do that. <laughs> yeah, you said that line earlier, and I know you like that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. This anyway. movie was just like, yeah, it, it, it was full of like little quips, you know, mainly made by her. You know, uh, it was definitely a Carol Lombard movie, you know. Oh, yeah. Like, this well, was. That's why they got Robert Montgomery, who, uh, you know, is a fine actor, but he's no like Cary Grant or somebody like that, yeah. you know. Like his talent, they said that in one of the reviews. And what? He's not known for his talent as an actor; more for his look. So I I, I like him in the movie enough where, like, I, my one of my favorite scenes with him is him in the uh, taxi cab. And he's talking to the taxi cab guy about, I'm just trying to see what my wife does when she's not, uh, when I'm not home, you know, and then in the afternoon and the taxi cab driver is like thinking, what does my wife do when I'm not home? You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's right. That was a great scene. And then he follows her to uh, that, um, to his, was it? I, I forgot if that was the scene where she he followed her to like her new work, new yeah. job that she was at or whatever. Because I know she he did that, and that's where he found out that she was working um, as a single woman now, you know. Um, and then uh, the other um, uh, the other time she he follows her to his office, thinking that she, I guess she was going to his office, you know. Mm-hmm. And he was, she wasn't, she was going to Jeff's office, you know? Yeah. And that's when we meet the parents and stuff. But before mm-hmm. then, Jeff walks into his own office thinking she's there. And, you know, it's like this guy who wants to talk to him about some stuff that's going on in his life. And he's like, no, 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 no okay, good, great. I'll, uh, I'll talk to you in a bit. I got to go, you know, right? And he, he goes back over to Jeff's office. And sees, you know, her and talks to the parents and even brings up that that guy, the client or whatever, just to look like he had a reason to be there, which he really didn't. The only reason he was there was to see his wife or ex-wife, whatever, former wife, whatever she was. And he tries to separate the two by being clever and bring up the fact that I know this woman very well. And, you know, it was pretty clever how he did that. And they got the parents all upset. Right. And like, how can you marry this white trash and sleeping around? So, but anyway. Uh, well, did you know when she, I think when they were saying that, that was outside of the, um, of the room, right? And everything. And did you hear like the little things at the top that were going, you know, or whatever? Like they kept, something kept interrupting and they said it was the, it was the plumbing, you know, or whatever. Right. I- well apparently it was they wanted to do toilet the toilet flushing 
but they weren't allowed to apparently. So to get away or to get around that, they made another noise or whatever. I thought that was interesting, you know, trivia right there because I didn't, I didn't know that you can even have the sound of toilet flushing back in 1940. They had a sensor. Um, it was very strict. It sounds weird. Like why is toilet flushing a big deal? Because it's nasty. <laughs> it's nasty sounding. I I don't know. It's just the innuendo. And the idea. Well, it's the same thing as they wouldn't let women we, sleep in the same bed as men in the in the movies. We've come a long way since then. We definitely have. Anyway, um, you know, it's definitely a comedy. Uh, not my favorite. I like Trouble with Harry a lot better. Oh yes. It was a comedy, but it was more ghoulish. It was more dark, and yeah. his sense of humor is generally dark. Yeah. And so this was a very light, very milk toasty kind of boring kind of movie. I didn't like it. Like as far as like I thought, I thought like I was excited to watch this movie, and then when I started watching it, I was kind of bored throughout it. Like, I was like, I don't care about these characters. Like, I never watch it again. Oh, you usually watch it twice. So you only watched it once? I thought, forget it. You couldn't do it? I'm not going to, you know, subject myself to that kind of, you know. Would you say this is your least favorite of all of the uh, Hitchcock movies we've done? Definitely is not Hitchcock. um, It's a fluff piece. Yeah. I mean, I, I understand he did this because he wanted to try something new. And and yes. did you notice he never did another like uh, light comedy again? You know, well, he never he never did a cameo in this either. Did you notice that? I kept looking for him and he wasn't in it. So it's, like, it's so funny. This movie was made right before Suspicion. And I love Suspicion. So it's like how Hitchcock got his groove back was uh yeah, was Suspicion. Yeah, for sure. You know, this some, movie was not it. Let me let me read something somebody wrote real quick. It says the only suspense is whether these two hot-tempered mates will escape each other to inflict their sadistic malice on some other poor soul. I thought right on. That's you know that's the only suspense. It's like, are they ever going to just break completely so they can torment some other you know poor soul? I know. Yes, they didn't. Um, yeah, it wow. Some people actually do like it though. Well, there's always a few. Yeah, yeah there's always gonna be the few that 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 dig it. Um uh so somebody went nine nine out of ten on IMDB and oh, okay. said this is Hitchcock, and then said as a long-time Hitchcock fan, I avoided this as some of the, some of his silent dramas as not typical of his work. However, I just watched one of the funniest, smartest, and sweetest screwball comedies I've ever seen, ranking for me with My Man Godfrey and Miracle of Morgan's Creek. Uh, Carol Lombard is absolutely radiant, and I found myself laughing out loud many times, something I don't usually do when watching a movie alone. I adored it, and I can't wait to see why I can't... S- and I can't see why its star rating isn't higher here. Uh, Hitchcock excelled as much as in the comedy as uh, suspense, and this one proves it. Now, yes, he was very good at comedy, but 
But once again, very dark comedy. Like his comedy was more along the lines of the stuff that he did for his suspense stuff, not this kind of stuff. So, yeah, you know, somebody said dull, angry couple comedy, you know, um, silly, naive, and completely dated, you know, like. Uh, what's the one we saw with Cary Grant? Uh, which one? We saw Cary Grant in a comedy. Uh, Violent for Murder, was that it? No. Where he was in a villa and uh, Grace Kelly was in it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, God damn it. Just watched it. To Catch a Thief. Oh, yeah. Now, that was a much ni- a nicer comedy. Yeah, it had comedy, but it was, you know, it was more of a... I, suspense heist kind of thing you know um but it had a little it had a lot of comedy dial in for murder had some comedy in it yeah not much but uh so that type of comedy i can handle this psycho is- even has comedy in it you know um it's not a comedy but uh, it has a lot of his wit and humor into it i'm gonna yeah. you need comedy even even in a horror films to give the audience a little respite, a little breath, you know, they can sigh of relief. And uh, well, I mean, for in, in his psycho, what I remember exactly was like the beginning of the movie uh, before she even gets to Norman Bates's house or whatever, or the motel. Uh, there's that though. There's a the guy, the, uh, uh, the guy who wants to invest his, or put his money in that bank. Right. And yeah. she's supposed to deposit the, the cash or whatever and she takes the cash but he is very funny his character is hilarious he's saying the most outrageously kind of subtly creepy things that are funny you know and made me laugh this had moments where i was just like okay i guess that was supposed to be funny and i i I know it's not hitchcock's fault I, i i i do blame the writer you know um, because it's it's the story and the characters that I just don't care about. Um, but I also like would have thought that Hitchcock would have said, "I don't really like this script. Can we punch it up? You know, make it funnier. You know, use some of my kind of dry humor into it. You know." Um, but I don't know. I mean, it's interesting, I guess. Definitely. But uh, it. it like all in all, I think that the movie was a good example of a really fantastic filmmaker just trying something different, you know, like trying to be uh, in comedy. And sometimes it works, and sometimes they realize I that was just, oh, you know, it's like, um, you know, uh, one of my favorite bands is this group called Reliant K, right? They're a Christian rock band. Uh-huh. And uh, one album that they have that I absolutely love, it's called Collapsible Lung. You know, it is uh, treated as sort of like a lot of people hate it because it's not a Christian album. It's a pop album. You know, there's barely any mention of God or whatever, you know, or, or Jesus or anything like that. Actually, there's no mention of Jesus at all, I don't think, in the whole album. But the, But the thing is, it was them trying something different, you know? And I think I love that album. Now I don't love this movie. You know, I don't think Hitchcock 
I don't think it worked for Hitchcock. Trouble with Harry worked. Yeah. You know, I actually adore that movie. I'll watch it more than, you know, more than once. Um, I I won't watch this probably ever again unless somebody kind of forces me to watch it, you know, or whatever. Um, I'm so glad I didn't buy it. I saw it on YouTube for free, you know. I so. think that uh, he tried to deviate from his usual pattern, but unfortunately, it was an unwise choice of genre, or maybe not. That's too broad of a brush, but it's a, it's an un, unwise choice uh, of this type of uh, comedy. Of comedy in this, in this genre, yeah. Now his comedy bits on his TV show were much funnier than any of this stuff. You remember how Hitchcock presents? Have you mm-hmm. ever seen any of those things where he comes on before the vignettes? Yeah. Oh my God, they're so funny, and he has a sense of humor. But like you were saying, it's it, it's kind of a dark sense of humor, and uh, very dry, dry dark humor. In it. Well. Do you want to hear a funny, another funny story with Carol Lombard? Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm reading this out of Spellbound by Beauty, which is a book all about uh, all the different women in Hitchcock's life um, who have gone on and, um, you know, done the stuff. Um, what the heck is this? So, um Uh, okay. Um, all right. Uh, aware of Hitchcock's reputation for practical jokes, Carol then per- prepared for a few of her own. He had agreed to let her direct his cameo appearance, a long shot as he strolls past an apartment building. Straight faced and utterly serious, she put him through several hours of exercise, requesting that he walk repeatedly. Uh, eight, 10, 15 times until she said he had it just right. Oh uh, a week later, she had another prank ready when Hitchcock arrived on set. Were the actors really cattle? Carol had set up a pen and three heifers, which stomped and mooed. Paul would love that. Um, uh, bearing their names of the movie's three stars on the neck tags. Uh, Hitchcock was not inclined to handcuff or insult her. And as for obscenities, she outdid him every day in that department. Wow. So I think this was a, a chance for him to do a comedy and one to do with Carol Lombard. He wanted to work with her. She is not known for dramas or thrillers or anything like that. So she would never worked with him in any other kind of movie, you know, uh, who's to say if they might not have done another movie together after uh, uh, was it uh, after her plane crash? Like if she, her plane hadn't crashed, you know. Is this her last movie? No, this was her second to last movie. Um, so she had done this. This was the last movie ever released when she was alive. But then she did another movie. Um, uh, what movie was that? Uh, she'd done one more movie, and. Uh, uh, was it in this one that she mentioned? Nope. Um, I think it was in the actual IMDb. Um, so in the trivia here. So I'm going to pull up. Uh, um, 
Yeah, so apparently this was the second to last one, and her last one was the movie um, To Be or Not To Be. That was her last final movie. You know, so they... uh, That's Shakespeare? uh, I think it's... I know later Mel Brooks re like did this, I believe. Oh, okay. uh, it's Ernst Lubitsch, you know, directed the movie um, and wrote it, I guess, or co-wrote it, whatever. Uh, it's got Jack Benny, Robert Stack, a few big names. Um, and it's basically during the Nazi occupation of Poland, an acting troop becomes embroiled in a Polish uh, soldier's efforts to track down a German spy. Okay. I think I may have seen that at some point. You have? Well, like I said, it was remade later, um, I believe, with um, uh, from Mel Brooks. Uh, and uh, I think that's funny that... Um, the producer... No, no, it was called to be or not to be. Uh, yeah. Um, and what year was that? To be or not to be? 1983. Uh, yeah, it says on set of a WW, uh, on set of WW2, uh, at the onset of WW2, a Polish actor's family in the Polish resistance helps a troop of theater uh, of a theater uh, escape Poland and the invading Nazis. Uh, starring Mel, well, actually, it wasn't Mel Brooks' movie. He was in it, but he didn't direct it. Um, did he write it? Sounds like something he would write. Nope, he didn't write it. Um, but he acted in it. So with Anne, uh, with Anne Bancroft. Bancroft and um, Jack Riley and a few other people. So that's his wife. Yeah. Oh, and Bancroft was his wife. Maybe yeah. that's where they met. Maybe. Oh, so anyway, that's that. That was that. So she was in To Be or Not to Be, and that was her last final movie. But that was released two months after her her death, unfortunately. Which sucks. She was in a uh, plane. Uh, flying back to, they had stopped in Las Vegas and then they were flying back to LA and they crashed in some mountains, you know, and uh, there were like 20 something passengers on that, and that all like died. Sad, you know, and including, uh, I believe it was Carol, uh, Clark Gable's like attorney or, or like agent, somebody that was working with Clark. He was so devastated, he volunteered, he enlisted in army or something or is it that he oh, fought wow. I can't remember but he was in the war he didn't care he just went to fight the Germans he had nothing to live for that's yeah. sad she was she seemed like a sweet person I I like I like that she had that body sense of humor and I think that's and that's what attracted Hitchcock period you know he likes he likes blondes he likes icy blondes who are you know, uh, who like, you know, like, like if Hitchcock were around today, he would have directed Buffy, you know, like that's just his thing is like the, the blonde girls who can kick butt in some way or another and don't need a man in their life. And that's literally what this movie was about is she didn't need these guys, you know, she could have been single, 
you know, she wanted to. She mm-hmm. liked Jeff because Jeff was uh, very milk toast and didn't do anything, you know. And as you said, he was very gay, you know, like, you know, like he he like wasn't he didn't seem to be interested in women, you know, or whatever, like the right way. And but she also liked the other guy because he was the exact opposite of him, you know, like he, she would he would be, um, you know, um, uh, he would like testosterone. Yeah, he had more testosterone. He was he stuck up for his his wife. He like the odd couple, you know. One one was like the the messy guy, and the other was a real orderly guy that was kind of effeminate. You're saying there could have been like an odd couple show, like with those two, <laughs> the the law firm of those two characters, you know. Uh-huh. Um, but I don't know. It's a you know, it's an interesting. I it it spawned. I think like. TV shows called Mr. and Mrs. Smith and uh, in that movie, obviously, but the movie had nothing to do with the, the original movie, so like, I wouldn't be surprised if... Well, I would be surprised if they remade this movie because there's really nothing to it. You know, like, and nowadays there'd be no mess up like that. You know? Um, back then, I can understand because they didn't have the internet and they didn't have all these other things that you know, like ways, ways for everything. So it's just like, you know, um, I don't know. It's, it's a weird, weird story. Um, but, uh, you know, it is what it is, right? Yeah. I don't know how they made a 90 minute movie out of that. It was actually longer. I think it was like an hour and almost like an hour and 40 minutes. It, it, um, reason yeah. i say that is because i was just like kind of waiting for the time to i was an hour and 35 minutes but it felt longer um it, it it felt longer and the whole time i was like looking at the clock going okay can this end please <laughs> like, yeah. and then it ended and i was like damn it that's the worst ending she, she just gets in her ski skis he helps her he then makes out with her and then she's just like oh this is it you know, she's back with him, I guess. I don't know. In two seconds ago, she was yelling at him about whatever. Well, I don't think it's going to end there. It's a lifelong struggle with him. I think they, some couples enjoy irritating each other because they fight and then they make up and, you know, make love or whatever. So it, it I just, guess they, they have to get angry to get passionate. And so I made another movie about two people like that. It wasn't the whole movie. It was just part of the movie. Huh. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Would you would you remake this? Or do you think that this no, doesn't need a remake? I would not. I just didn't like it. Do you it. think it wouldn't have been, it, it wouldn't be a good remake? I don't think so. I don't think people have the patience to sit through that. So. We, yeah, definitely. So, well. I think we talked about everything, didn't we? Is there anything that I left out? I hope so. <laughs> yeah, we did. I think we covered every base. We covered everything. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there you go. Because there, like you said, you didn't even you didn't even watch it twice, so you didn't probably take a lot of notes on this one as much as you normally do. I did three pages instead of five, but uh. I did good chemistry, 
comedic timing, but it was just a boring subject matter. Yeah. Like I said, I blame the writer. I don't blame Hitchcock. Hitchcock did the best. Like all the actors did great, so Hitchcock did well with the actors. All the the cinematography looked good, so he did well with the cinematography. I hate I hate people who say, you know, blame the director for a crap movie when yeah. honestly, like there's nothing they can do with a bad script. Yeah. You know? Yes and no. Hitchcock admitted he didn't understand the characters, so he just followed the screenplay, and the screenplay didn't have much depth of character involved in it. So there you have it. It's just a cardboard cutout. So do you think that if another director, an American director, like say Billy Wilder, came in and said, "I want to direct this movie," they he would have punched up the script, he would have changed things, he would have made it funnier. I would say possibly yes. So do you blame do you blame Hitchcock for this movie not being that good? He just walked through this one. So I mean nothing against the guy. He's known as a master of suspense, not the master of comedy. So, well, I mean, I think A also he wanted to get away from Selznick for a little bit. So he went to RKO. Uh and uh, apparently Selznick actually uh like let loaned directors out to other companies so that they could um you know work on their uh, uh so that they, so basically he would get paid selznick would get paid even though they're not on his film you know right. and stuff which yeah. i think is a wonderful idea he did gone with the wind too yeah he? he did gone with the wind all at the same time they were doing rebecca you know okay. which we haven't done yet but we did it on I did it on Criterion Watch, uh, but I would love to do do it here and get your get your perspective at some point about it because it's funny because I do I've done a couple I've done uh, Rebecca and Foreign Foreign Correspondent and we don't have them this season listed this season but next season I might have at least one of them on for for next season because I would love to like you probably haven't really seen those. You know, and even though I've touched on my opinions, you know, maybe my opinion changes, you know, a little bit. Who knows? Or maybe you see something differently that, you know, makes me see things differently on it. Um, but yeah, he had done Rebecca with Selznick at the same time that they were doing Gone with the Wind, I believe. Or it was a four correspondent. What what year was uh, Gone with the Wind? Um, uh, 1939. Uh, 1939. So, foreign correspondent was 1940, and Rebecca was, which they just remade, by the way. And I'm afraid to watch it because I really like that movie. Um. Uh, 1940. Uh. Is it 1940? Yeah, it's 1940. So about the same. Wow, he made they made uh, Rebecca and Four Correspondent the same year. It came out the same year. Interesting. Um, so, but he was working on those movies, you know, and uh, David Selznick couldn't actually interfere with the problem with the with with it because you know because he usually is very hands on on yeah. the projects and stuff, and that let you know, Hitchcock be able to run around and do whatever he wanted to do, you know, as opposed to Selznick telling them you can't do that. 
But I think more people should have came in and said, hey, you shouldn't do that for, for Mr. and Mrs. Smith. <laughs> I, I think you're right. I think she pretty much uh, controlled every aspect of this movie. Probably. Put his name on it. Yep, so. he just has his name on it. But, oh, well, anyway, thank you so much, Larry. Um, Absolutely. See yeah, what's the next movie on our uh, on our list? Barney is the next one. Is it? I think that's what you have. Hold on. Hitchcock. Or did that um, season two? Let's see. Yep, Marnie is next. I have no idea what that is. <laughs> oh boy, you're in for a okay. you're in for a treat. I saw this movie. It's actually, I think it's really good, but I have a lot to say about it. So. Um, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of history with that movie. Um, so I'm really excited for you to see it. Uh, it is, I will already say this, this it's a million times better than this movie. Like it's, you know, it's Hitchcock sort of where he's kind of moved on from after psycho six semi success thing. And he's kind of went on to do something, you know, and, and when I, it's really, it's really good. And um, I think you would, uh, think you'll hopefully like it. I mean, you know? and it stars one of your, uh, one of the people you, I think you've met and you met Tippy Hedren. Oh, Tippy Hedren. Yeah. yeah. I think she's the star of this, if I'm correct, um, which she did not want to be. And we'll get into that later. Yep. It's her yeah. and Sean Connery in that movie. So, yep, Sean Connery. Yeah, the only the one and only time I believe that Hitchcock has worked with Sean Connery. So there you go. I wonder if they had friction or not. I don't think so. I Hitchcock usually works well with directors and or actors, and actors really wanted to work with him. He's sort of like at that time William Wyler, you know. William Wyler was one of those guys who just like Hitchcock generally got people oscars you know so actors even if he was doing he was making them do a million takes they would they would do as much as they could just to work with him you know and that's what they did with the hitchcock so all right well everybody thank you guys so much for checking this out i hope you guys enjoyed it let us know what you guys think um and until then Check us out uh, next month when we are going to be talking about Marnie. So, okay. bye, bye, everybody. Holly ho.